Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible with you, open to Nehemiah chapter 6. I wonder what victory looks like for you. When I was a kid, uh, my brother and I uh, would, at least once a summer, sometimes more, uh, travel to my Nana's house, and uh, she had a sister that lived with her. Her name was not Aunt, Aunt Dorothy. Nana and Aunt Dorothy were quite a pair. You would have never guessed, taking a look at them as they would ride around town in their Cadillac, that Nana and Aunt Dorothy were fans of wrestling. (laughs) And it was my Nana and Aunt Dorothy who got my brother and I into watching pro wrestling. They loved the Von Erichs. All right, I knew somebody, somebody. <laughs> My brother and I would always try to imitate the iron claw on each other. Never quite worked the way it did on TV. I don't know. One of the things about, uh, I, uh, I guess later found out about pro wrestling, which broke my heart, what it... The outcome was predetermined. The guy, sorry, children, students, if you didn't know that. It's fake. It's fake news. But these guys go through the battle for entertainment, for the entertainment factor, for those that are in the crowd and what a crowd it usually is if you ever happen to turn by one of those channels to catch wrestling on. But it's already predetermined who's going to win. The winner of the match is not in the struggle and in the battle for victory. He battles knowing that he's already won. We're skipping over some major pieces of the story of Nehemiah. And if you've been here any amount of time, I know PK has preached through Nehemiah before. So we're not missing too much. But... We understand from Nehemiah, we've looked at how he is a man of deep faith, and he lives that faith with a deep and abiding conviction, and it's as if he's not battling for victory, he's he's battling from victory. Nehemiah sensed that God had called him to lead the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. He trusted that God was on the side of his people. And he displayed that trust as time and time again he turned back to God and he led the people turn back to God in prayer. Did Nehemiah wake up one day setting his goal and his own initiative to go back to Jerusalem? No, it was the news that the walls were in ruins 
and the people of God were disgraced. That is what God used to repurpose Nehemiah's life and to repurpose his people to restore Jerusalem. As the walls were in ruin, God used Nehemiah to call out the people to rise up, and they did just that. And the short and sweet of it this morning, if you will stand for two verses one more time. The short and sweet of it we find in chapter 6, verse 15. The wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul. When our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed and very special is your name. Lord, as we pause this morning, we know that Christ is the victory and that in Christ the church battles from the winning position, knowing full well that Christ has sealed up the victory over sin, death, and the grave. Father, we praise you, for greater is Christ Jesus than he that is in the world. God, help us to be courageous today and every day as Jesus commanded that we would be courageous for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. 52 days. I would encourage you after we're done this morning uh, to walk across the street and see what the Texas Baptist men did in about two weeks and also see that there's still more to go. But 52 days. How in the world did Nehemiah achieve such a God-sized goal in such a short period of time? Well, the answer, I've already read it for you in verse 16, this task had been accomplished by whom? By our God. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know how important it was to Nehemiah to spend time praying. It's been an emphasis this morning that we spend time praying together out loud. And our text In fact, the whole book of Nehemiah provides a path for us in which we can follow and apply to our own life and to the church so that we stay focused on the God-sized task of making disciples who make disciples for the glory of God, accomplishing the work that God has called us to do in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. First thing we have to do is we have to pray continually. We have to keep praying We don't stop praying at 12 o'clock on Sunday, do we? We keep praying. Nehemiah, again, was a man of prayer. You're going to keep hearing me say that. You might be tired of hearing it, but that's exactly who it was, who he was. He was a man of prayer. His goal, to go to Jerusalem and lead the project, a God-sized task, a task that he had to stay focused on God in order to accomplish. His response upon hearing the news, if you go back to chapter one, was what? Prayer and fasting. He spent so much time in prayer. In fact, he spent more time in prayer than actually leading and working on the project. He spent four months praying before he ever went to the king, King Artaxerxes, and the work took 52 days. Do the math. 
There's a battlefield, church, and I spoke about that last week briefly, but there's a battlefield where war is waged. Nehemiah understood it to be a spiritual battle. We must understand it is a spiritual battle as we battle on our knees. As God calls us corporately as Coastal Oaks Church, and he calls you in your walk with Christ to set goals one of which is gonna be to finish this gym. We remember that these goals are so often God-sized tasks, and they're larger than any one of us of our own. That challenge or that task requires us to lean on him and trust him all the more on every level of the adventure. Now, we wanna make sure to not make the mistake of seeing this project in front of us, thinking that God is going to remember us because we have a gym. Coastal Oaks Church is not going to be remembered in heaven because we have a gym. Friend, the God-sized task in front of us is making disciples. That's the God-sized task in front of us, just to make disciples. We will be remembered in heaven for making disciples. The whole story of Nehemiah and the story of Coastal Oaks Church is built on the foundation of trusting God. Look at Nehemiah chapter two, verse 18. As Nehemiah has returned to Jerusalem, he's rallying the people around and he said, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been upon me and what the king said to me They said, let's start rebuilding. Nehemiah had already come so far. He'd already put his life on the line for those walls and for the people of God when he stood before King Artaxerxes and asked the question if he could return to Jerusalem. But at least 10 times, at least 10 times, Nehemiah prays. Sometimes the prayer is written out, like in chapter one, and other times it just mentions something like this. So I prayed to the God of the heavens. Sometimes it's just a quick little glancing blow that he leaves us in the text, and other times it's longer. In chapter six, verse nine, Nehemiah specifically prayed for God to strengthen his hands. And he is showing us today in the face of opposition that we too, church, must Stand firm and pray. So let us make it our prayer. God, strengthen our hands as we stand firmly in Christ. Because the church has an adversary who doesn't want us to finish. The church has an adversary that wants to trip us up and cause us to stumble and not be successful for God's glory. And so we must pray, continually believing the work will be achieved only by God's power and for his glory. God, strengthen our hands. Something very practical that you could do and I would encourage you to do, church, is to come early and often before the service begins and prayer walk the grounds, prayer walk in this room. Go sit in a seat that's not your own and pray for whoever might be sitting in that seat that God would speak to their heart. Pray in our children's wing. Go pray over the admin building. We sure need it. (laughs) Pray. 
pray. Because you know it's not confined to the dinner table and it's not confined to this room. We've got to pray. We've got to keep praying as the Apostle Paul reminded the Colossian church. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray. Next, we see Nehemiah committing to God's purpose. And so I'd encourage you to commit to God's purpose. If you have read the story of Nehemiah for the last 30 days in our prayer journey, then you would, I think you would agree that Nehemiah, is a, he's an all-in kind of guy. Sorry, church, don't mean to bring up gambling, but if he was sitting at a Texas Hold'em table, that's all I know, sorry. I mean, I don't know, I don't play. No, I don't gamble. No, it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Illustration-wise, okay, scratch that one, I'll never use it again. If he was sitting at a Texas Hold'em table, no matter what his hand is, I feel like Nehemiah's pushing all of his chips every time. That's what I mean by all in. His whole life is on the line. Everything he's got, he's there. Why? Because he's been praying and he trusts in God. He is committed to the purposes of God. Too many Christians today will say, oh, I'm committed to Jesus. But our lives don't reflect that. We're just putting in a small amount. We're putting in a couple of chips, but not everything. We have to remember, church, that we're positioned in Christ to battle from the victory that he, has, he alone has secured at the cross and in the resurrection. We fight from a, from a position of victory that Christ has secured for God's glory and our good. And we would say that Christ must be the centerpiece of our lives. But in reality, is that true? Because you know, Jesus didn't just die so that we could compartmentalize him on Sunday and go the rest of the way without him. He's not a Sunday-only savior. Friend, God has an agenda for Coastal Oaks Church. He has an agenda for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And part of that is that Christ is the centerpiece he is your king, he is your Lord, he is your boss. And when he calls us to go, we go. And I want you to commit this morning to be all in for the purposes of God, and that when we commit to being all in and we're living in some kind of radical obedience, it'll look funny. That's what Dave Ramsey always says about being debt-free. You live like, live like no one else so that one day you can live like no one else. It's kind of, kind of what it is to follow Jesus. You're gonna look weird to society. But if you'll commit and be all in, you'll see the hand of God upon your life. It's Nehemiah's testimony. He testified to how God's hand was upon him and what happened. The people responded and said, let's start rebuilding. Commit to the purposes of God. Third, Nehemiah pursued the calling of God. So we must pursue the calling of God. We've seen throughout this reading of Nehemiah that he has a passion for following this, this calling upon his life. In verse four of chapter one, when he hears the words, he sat down and wept and he began fasting and praying to the God of the heavens. That's where that, that passion for God and his people come from for Nehemiah. God uses that moment to stir in his heart a calling to lead the people back, not just to rebuild a wall, but to lead the people back into revival that their hearts would be turned back Fulfilling the scriptures. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13, 
in the middle of opposition, in fierce opposition, to being afraid of coming under attack and, and facing a, a determined enemy. And some of the, the, the men that were stationed around Jerusalem, some of the other people groups, Nehemiah responded this way in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, so I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall, at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah is not only pursuing the calling of God, but even in the face of opposition, he's leading his people to pursue the calling of God. I felt like when I was reading that the other day, I felt like I was watching one of the great motivational messages in a movie, like I should be watching Remember the Titans or, or, or Hoosiers or something along those lines. That would be a great scene in, a, in, a, in an awesome movie. Anyway, it's a God-given passion to pursue his calling upon your life. Don't give in to them. Don't give in to the ones who are coming against you, telling you, no, it's not that important. There's other things that are more important than pursuing Christ and the calling of God upon your life. Don't give in to them. God has given you a passion to pursue, and that is his passion for you is his glory. You live for his glory, and his hand is upon you for your good. There's no stopping Nehemiah's commitment in his pursuit of the calling of God upon his life to see this wall rebuilt and to see the hearts of God's people most importantly turn back. We might say things like, well, I've got a passion for sports or I've got a passion for fishing or painting or music or, or work um, or, or coffee, um, what, whatever it might be. Friend, God has given you those passions, but you can always use those passions for his glory and the spread of the gospel and making disciples. Calling and passion are always there to draw us closer to him, to make us look more like him, to make us look more like Christ. And it should be used to point people to Jesus and make disciples. But we have to pursue that calling of God. And that calling and that passion that, that God gives us, it's always going to point people to Jesus. For Nehemiah, it was that, that city in ruins, and it was the people of God in disgrace. When the people of God were in disgrace and the, wall, the walls were in ruins, God's name was not going out. That change happened, though. When that city is rebuilt, and when Nehemiah, before it's even rebuilt, when Nehemiah returns with orders and the okay of King Artaxerxes, God's name is already being stirred amongst the people. That's why there's opposition. They want nothing to do with that God of Israel to come. They don't want him to come back. And yet he does. For Abraham, that calling was God's covenant of a child blessing the world. For Moses, it was the freedom of God's people to pursue God in the promised land. For Joshua, it was leading the people of God into the promised land to take possession of that promise. For Jesus, it was God's glory, the Father's glory, the cross and the resurrection. And for Paul, it was the spread of the gospel. For Paul, it was also knowing Jesus fully and finishing the race that was set before him, trusting that God would complete everything he had started in his life. What is that for you? 
I can know that it's going to involve prayer and worship, evangelism, and disciple-making, ministry. All of those things are practically lived out as the part of the church on some level, the place we call home, Coastal Oaks Church. Fourth, I want you to rely on God's power. Nehemiah relied on God's power. The miracle of the rebuilding of that wall was accomplished only by God's hand in 52 days. Listen to Nehemiah as he gives glory to whom it is due. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. It's not Nehemiah's plans. It's not his schemes. It's not his blueprints. It's the hand of God. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. He's speaking there to his enemies. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20. Wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, we read a few moments ago. When all the enemies heard this, that is the completion of the wall, all the surrounding nations were intimidated, lost their confidence. That's what happens when you put confidence in yourself, by the way. For they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Coastal Oaks was started in 1983, and for 38 years, we've had some, some, some God-sized callings in front of us, and we face that again. Some dumb storm in 2017 took our mojo. We're not going to listen to them. We're going to stand up. We're going to see what God's glory can do so that every person from North of Copano Bay, Lamar, Holiday Beach, all the way down to Ingleside and all points in between, all of Coastal Bend, the state of Texas, to the ends of the earth would be able to hear the gospel. That is our calling. It is a God-sized task that requires a big God. And friends, we do have one and serve one. God is for the church. He is for the church. He is not against us. He is for us. The gym isn't the only thing, and it isn't everything. What we face is the repair of a cog in the wheel of the ministry of Coastal Oaks Church. And also, let me say, we dare not make a con- the, the concept of debt-free ministry or the opposite of that, which is going into debt ministry, any kind of idol. And the gym is not our golden calf. That endeavor, this endeavor will rely on God's provision. It will provide space for us to reach students and children. It will rely, uh, provide a place for us to eat when it's time to eat. It will rely, uh, provide a place for me to, to dunk on Billy McDonald. <laughs> yeah, right. I learned my lesson at youth camp. I'm a better coach than I am a player anymore. <laughs> Friends, we're going to rely on, on our God just like Nehemiah and the people. Fifth, something else that Nehemiah did very well that we need to remember is that he included others. He included others. One thing Nehemiah knew was that he could not build that wall in 52 days by himself. Chapter 3 is a, is a chapter that helps us to see the importance of God's team. Some of you made Facebook comments about chapter 7. Also, a list of names 
that helps us to see the importance of God's team. Those names are fun to try to pronounce, but the big picture is that every section of that wall had a team working on their section. This section didn't go to that section and say, oh, you're not doing it right. Let me do it for you. Every section took care of their section, just as Nehemiah had set them up and put them in place. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. It takes a team, it takes a family, and that is vital for us to remember that. Church, we are one in Christ. The sixth thing I see in Nehemiah is that he pressed on even when the cost was great. That rebuilding took a toll on Jerusalem. There was great cost, there was great sacrifice to get those walls back in place. They worked day and night with fierce opposition from in their face and behind their backs, constantly coming at them, and yet they stood their ground. There was famine, there was debt, there was enslavement. It was not a project that protected their comfort levels and their convenient factors. It was a project that called them out of their safe spaces with a sword in one hand and the trowel in another to work and to fight when needed. But they pressed on. The wall was completed in 52 days. It was the hand of God. 52 days, a miracle by the hand of God. Now, however great that wall was, still greater is the work of God when he called his people and repurposed their hearts. Church, when the tough gets going, we hit our knees, just as Paul instructed young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. At the end of his life, Paul said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. But it's costly. It's costly, but we press on. And the question before us is, as we count the cost, do we take God at his word? A disciple counts the cost and follows. We count the cost and we trust that God is going to finish what he started. Just as Paul wrote the Philippians, he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Finally, what Nehemiah does and what we need to do as well is we need to point others to the one who finished it all. The hands of the workers were sore that day that it was finished. They were calloused. They were cut from the stones, no doubt. Probably had bruises and scrapes and cuts from other, on other places on their body from the lifting of that stone and the cutting and the masonry that had to happen in order to get that big wall back in place. From fighting in the battle when the ram's horn blew. But one thing Nehemiah was sure to do at the end of it was to pointed everyone, even the nations who opposed, he pointed them to the one who finished it. That one for us is Jesus Christ. The highest cost for him was his life. 
His sacrifice for you was completed when he said, it is finished, paid in full. And with that, he'd fulfilled his father's purpose for his life. Only God could have done that. That on the third day, that stone was rolled away. Only God could have done that. Friend, let us be the church where we look in amazement and say, as the psalmist did in Psalm 118, this came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. Only the blood of Christ Jesus could bring together the nations. Only the blood of Christ Jesus could bring together people from every tribe and every nation and every language to form his bride. I mean, look across the room today. We are a peculiar bunch of people. How in the world could we ever get along together if it wasn't for the blood of Christ? Only Christ Jesus could pay the debt that we owed God for our sin. Our, our lives, our hearts before Christ are just like those walls. They're torn down and in ruins. And you may be thinking, no, pastor, my life's pretty good right now and I don't know Jesus. Well, you just don't understand that the walls of your life are in ruins because of sin. You may not see it as such yet, but that's, that, that's the way God sees it. And he's paid the price for you. He sent his son to pay the price for you, to rebuild your heart, to turn that old heart of stone into a, a heart that is soft, a heart, the scripture says, of flesh, a heart that is usable by God. In the end of this story, we hear the people the people are saying, we live for the Lord. That is our song. That is what our hearts say, that we live for the Lord. The salvation and the finished work of payment for sin, the opening of the door for all who trust in Jesus to see complete restoration of our lives. From the rising up from death and, and sin to life in Christ, only God can do that. Only God can take that that old dirty heart and make it clean and pure. And just as Nehemiah noted, so does the church. When our enemy, when our adversary heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Every time a life has changed in this room or that one out there, it is not because of Coastal Oaks Church. It is because that task is accomplished by our God. The winner of the match does not battle for victory, but from victory. We battle, church, because we know he's already won. Let's pray together.